good morning. How are you? Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Great to see you, Jay. Good to see you, Paul. Mr. Fenner, you're in charge. Okay, that's one of the few times you let me have the controls. Thank you. <laughs> great, great to see you, Jay. Great to see you. Thanks for having me again. Yeah, and uh, you know, I, we we recently had the chance to visit a little bit at the Velocity uh, International Festival at uh, WeatherTech Raceway in Laguna Seca, and it was great, great to catch up. And you know, uh, it reminded me, uh, you know, I was reflecting on it after we talked. You know, what a moment you arrived. In your position at IndyCar, the the things you've managed and changed. I, I want to talk about that right off the bat, and we'll talk a little bit about your background too, because I don't think that people understand maybe where you've come from and what you've done previously. But first off, you you're managing change constantly, uh, and you managed the change uh, basically of a moment of change that I've seen IndyCar soar. Can you tell me what you look at as your biggest accomplishment, let's say, of the last four or five years? Um, well, I think, well, thank you, Paul. It's great to see you. Great to, ha great to thank you for having me. Um, I think it really started in 16 or 17, right, when we came up with that paddock-wide plan, right? So we had to have, we, we came up with a kind of a strategic goal that had a four-point process to it, which was, yeah. um, you know, getting our identity back with the car, um, the driver cockpit, total driver cockpit safety solution, um, it was a new engine hybridization. It was, you know, what were you do with fuel, that type of thing. So yeah. those were basically our four, our, our initial four strategic goals. And then how, how did it work from there? So um, based off that with the paddock, again, a great paddock wide effort, we created a, a five year rolling plan. And so far from that first strategic goal meeting, we kind of had, um, you know, we did the car in 2018, which the AK-18 came out in 2018, less downforce, more more, house, more horsepower coming, got our identity back, you know, it looked like an Indy car, you know, drives like an Indy car, um, which is great. In 2020, we came up with the AeroScreen, which I think has been a um, industry changing, you know, device. I think it's a piece of work of art. It's yeah, you know, yeah. amazing what it does. It's amazing <laughs> the screen it has, you know, we've got numerous, um, incidents that have happened over the last couple of years and obviously the results we wanted um you know next in 2023 we're coming out with a 2.4 uh, liter twin turbo v6 you know with hybridization to it so that's the engine piece and then you know the last part was the fuel which we're looking at different things but i think if you look back i mean we've ran e85 for a lot of years right which is already probably cutting edge compared to what some others are doing so um excited about you know what we've done at this point excited about where we're going we still have a lot of work to do uh, but I think it all started out with a, a plan, and the plan was created amongst our paddock, amongst our manufacturers, amongst us at IndyCar, and we've stuck to our plan, and, and I think it, it makes sense. The teams know where we're going. They know what we're doing. You know, the COVID last couple of years is kind of, you know, we deviated a little bit from the plan just based off of that, like everybody's had to. But um, you know, in 20 and 21, you were more in survival mode than growth mode, you know, and, uh, but, you know, again, excited where we're at, excited where we're going. Well, you should be. I, I'm going to recite some stats that I recited yesterday during the uh, session with uh, Mark Miles. Um, you know, we have a dashboard. We get to see how the different racing series are doing uh, based on the metrics on our digital platforms. Um, from the moment the new car was introduced uh, through many of these initiatives coming on stream, this sport has taken off. It took off as well because of the NBC uh, alignment. Um, 
But most importantly, whatever you've been doing is working. The action on the racetrack, it's working. The stars that are coming into the sport, it's working. So, you know, we're seeing this massive growth of, you know, well above 60%, nearly 70% annually, and largely driven by the audience energy in IndyCar. Now we're seeing what's happening too. NASCAR, Formula One, IMSA are all rising. Uh, every other sport's rising, but you're rising at a rate greater than the rest of them. And uh, at the core of it is the stability and identity and schedule and all these other things you've been working on. When you set out to do all of this, you know, where did where did you think it would, what was your objective? You know, you obviously, these all had a purpose, but what was it you were trying to do when you made that four-point plan? Um, well, really, it was it was about, at that point, about recruiting race teams, too, right? So yeah. it was, um, we wanted uh, IndyCar to be a series of great racers and great teams wanted to come participate in, right? right. So there was, there was a lot of people that we thought could participate that weren't necessarily. Yeah. Uh, so we thought, again, in any business, in any company in any family you know you have a plan you know where you're going you know what you're doing right. so we thought once we laid out the plan that would help you know recruit new teams and drivers to come into sport so if you look at just that part of it you know a few years ago we had 18 to 20 cars a couple years after that we had 20 to 22 cars this yes. past year we had 24 next year we're going to have 26 so um yeah you know that path is happening and i think you know if you look at this past season you know, we probably had the mo most unique rookie class in the history of any car right you so did. Things like that certainly help too, right? That's bringing a lot of different eyeballs to the sport. Um, you know, I think our on-track competition is second to none. Um, you know, we we pride ourselves on letting our you know, drivers race. We want to race hard. We want to race clean. You know, if you look at Laguna, which when we were you know, last together was in Laguna, um, this year we had I think it was 367 on-track passes, which is the sixth most in the history of any car, something like that, on a road course. So it's it's you know the formula seems to be working. Again, you can never rest on your laurels. You always got to get better. You always have to have new things. Again, that's you know what we're working on in 2023 with the new engine, with the hybridization. Um, so there's a lot of things that we still have to do to continue. But I think our foundation that, that we're kind of building off of that we started with this plan in 2018 uh, you know, appears to be working. And, and again, we've got to you know, continue to create out. Yeah, and I, I think that you know you've touched on a number of points I want to expand on here, and and uh, I think that. You're not boring. That's the number one thing. You just there. You know you're going to see something spectacular when you uh, uh, tune in or follow IndyCar. Uh, uh, you're going to see action, and you're going to see people bring it. And we saw that. Laguna is a perfect example. That was a mesmerizing race. You know, it was dominating and, and brilliant performance by Colton Herta. But what was happening, the rest of the field was crazy, <laughs> and. Uh, uh, you know, you had you, you know you had an adrenaline rush after that race, especially Romain Grosjean's charge at the end. Uh, and a little bit of uh, uh, you know uh, 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 you know dynamic action. I'll put it that way. <laughs> the corkscrew, but I but the fact that the officiating didn't get in the way is refreshing to me. I mean, some people may disagree, but that that was pure raw racing, and uh, I think that you know that. To me, is a, a very refreshing thing. Do you think you can maintain that as the competitive heat comes up? Yeah, I think so. If you look at if you look at the our driver lineup, right? If we had four first-time winners last year, yeah. um, obviously there's a an amazing group of veteran drivers that are still around that can get it done. There's an amazing group of young drivers 
that are coming up, you know, that can get it done. So this crossover that's going on, um, it, it's you know, the competition level is very high. Yeah. Um, when we talk about race control and stewarding and how we officiate it, one of the, the things when we first started here too that we really wanted to try to do is take race control out of the news, right? It wasn't you know, that wasn't what it was about. It was about what's going on on the track, not what's going on in race control. I think we've done a, a, a really good job of getting race control out of the news. Um, one of the things I think in 2020, there was a couple of times where we were in the news a little bit more than we wanted to be. Yeah. And I don't think it was a, a, a human element in any way, but there was some technology that um, new technology we got come from 2021 or I'm sorry, 2022 um, that will help button that up. So we're excited about the future, the way we officiate things. Again, um, we certainly don't want you know race control or the stewards to be in the news. It's not about them. It's about what's going on the track. And I think that the way we've let the drivers race and race hard is uh, something we'll certainly do in the future. And I think that's <clears throat> that's what a race fan wants to see. Bottom line, you know, that's that's, that's what we show up for. Um, and you know, I I think some may not know your background. I, I do know a little bit about it. We've known each other now, uh, I, I think, since the mid to early 90s here. So I, I, if you could spend just a couple of minutes explaining on how you got to where you're at, I think that would help people understand why you have this 360 view of the world in, in, in being the president of IndyCar. Oh, well, this is always one of the most exciting things to talk about. Not, you know, you talk about yourself, but... but um, just so people I, need to know how you got here. Gotcha. So I, right out of college, my first job, I worked for Anheuser-Busch for a couple of years. Um, did a lot of things in sports marketing. Actually got to know a lot of people in motorsports through that. So that's kind of was my first caveat. Um, so after AB, I went and um, worked for Valvoline and ran the NASCAR program and the World Outlaws program. For, that's where I met you. Yep. Yes, that's where we met for a few years. Um through that, I actually uh, met um, Rick Hendrick, you know, and, and Rick became a good friend, mentor, that type of thing. Um, so from Valvoline, we went and we actually uh, went and started a team, our team. So I'm like, I think I was 29 years old. We started a team from scratch with some, with support of Hendrick Motorsports, uh, what's called MB2 Motorsports. So I guess MB2's biggest claim to fame was in 07, the Mark Martin, you know, Kevin Harvick, Daytona 500, where we lost. We won the Daytona 500. We lost the Daytona 500 overtime, right? Yeah. yeah. So um, that was that team. Um, we had, you know, Kenny Schrader, M&Ms, you know, Ernie Irvin, Skittles, you know, Joni Machek with the Army, Sterling Marlin. So it was a, a good group, good team. Yeah. Um, basically then, and I guess it was 2008, uh, sold the team to DI. Um, from that point, went and ran the Red Bull NASCAR team for almost five years. Yeah, and then ended up here. So um, interesting, you know. I think I've been on all sides of the sport, right? And yeah. the biggest thing was obviously everything we've always done, or I've always done, is from a team perspective. Because you know, starting a team from scratch again, it was '96. I was 29. I, we hired a or hired a 24 year old crew chief, which is named Brian Pemberton, um, and we started this team. And you know, what we didn't, how do you say that about? We didn't know what we didn't know. You know, and here we went. Start out in a you know eight thousand square foot building with thirteen people, and you know in year two sat in the pool of the Brickyard four hundred. So it's cool. And um, so anytime we do things from an IndyCar perspective, the first thing we always look at is how it affects the teams, because at the end of the day, the teams are our bread and butter. If we have a healthy paddock, we're going to have a healthy sport and a healthy series. Agreed. And and that's you you open the door to another subject that was raised by Michael Andretti. You know, with the 
uh, you know, the point was made from his perspective that, you know, one, I think you're appreciated by this paddock. Obviously, we, we hear that constantly uh, at, at Racer. At the same time, there's a, a concern that uh, IndyCar team is not a franchise. It's not an ownable thing beyond the hardware uh, and, you know, the facility. Um, is there any consideration given to creating equity for these teams that are the, in effectively the foundation of the sport? Um, do you, is there any discussion about what, what can be done to... Well, I think if you look at that piece of this, okay, we've grown, right? We've got to this certain point now where we've got 26 or 27 cars that are going to run full-time. You know, how do we manage the growth? How do we manage this, this, this we're having? So all those things kind of play into this and what's next not work. So when we did the plan, again, so this goes way back, our, our goal or hope was that we would have... Um, 24 full-time teams with three manufacturers, eight cars apiece. Perfect, right? The math works. It's perfect. It's beautiful. Yep. Here's, here's how we go. So we've we've got ahead of ourselves on the team part, which is great. Yeah, we haven't got the third manufacturer part done yet, but we continue to work on that. Um, so again, that that again, as we grow into the future, I know there's many different things we'll have to look at to sustain what we want to work doing. Um, obviously, creating value for the owners is very important. So, um, you know, there's nothing, I guess you'd say, that would be off the table then. Great. And and I think that, you know, because what you have here is is really quite unique. And, and, and uh, it, this sport is coming back in a way that uh, some didn't believe it could. Uh, and I know you're, just from observing it, you're a big part of the reason it is. And the challenge you have, too, of balancing the Indianapolis 500, a unique event that has unique requirements. You have to fill a field of 33 cars out of an entrant base that's usually 24 to 26 cars creates another set of issues, you know, in and of itself. But let's talk about, the, you know, this puts a bit of a strain on the engine manufacturers as well. So you, you, I know you're working on this engine, third engine manufacturer, and I'm not going to put you on the spot here and ask you about how it, how it's going with Volvo, you know, or, <laughs> or, or you know, or, or any other company. I, I, I just think that you, you, I know you're, you're working on it, uh, but what, what happens when you get that third manufacturer? What's the real benefit to IndyCar? Uh, I think a lot of people may not understand that. Yeah. Well, it's, I think if you look back to, to 2020, um, when we were able to announce that we did a long-term extension with our two current partners, Chevrolet and Honda right. you know, during, in the middle of a pandemic, um, was a really, really big deal, right? We had to have that done first before we worried, you know, worried about a third, or not worried about a third, but you know, if one of those two would have left, the third would have just become a second and we would have been back where we started off. So again, that was a really, really big deal. I think if you look at the, you know, from a motorsports perspective, I think the OEMs are kind of like the lifeblood of the series, right? Yeah. You know, from a promotional standpoint to a manufacturing standpoint to touring teams, um, you know, our two current ones do a phenomenal job like you mentioned, there's a huge stress on them right now as we're growing. You know, it's obviously created more um, inventory issues and things like that for them. Um, you know, all good problems to have, all that they're very willing to take on. But at some point, you know, it's a problem, and we're getting to the point where it is a problem. And the third manufacturers are going to become more of a necessity than a luxury. So um, that's kind of the you know situation we're in right now, where we're at. I don't think we're um, over the top yet, but I think it's, you know, it's getting to the tipping point here pretty soon. That's good to know. And, and I, uh, I, I just from having been around this sport when there were, I, I think there were four manufacturers at, at mm -hmm. one point that I, I 
we were engaged with it through our company, and it was a very dynamic environment, and there was a lot of marketing going on that was yeah. surfacing the sport, and it was also reaching consumer uh, brand level, and it's a B2B environment mostly uh, now, but, but that consumer level marketing that the car company brings and the associated brands bring that's rocket repellent for what uh, propellant for what you're trying yeah. to do here, and you've uh, you know if I were to characterize what's happened here, is the core audience has been massively energized over the last couple of years, three four years. You know uh, we see that in our metrics, twenty percent up over 2019. So I think it's sixty seven some. Excuse me, two million up over 2019, four million up so far over 2020, and again a lot of it's IndyCar. And I think we're getting to the core now. That's we're starting to get a much bigger core of about ten or eleven million people that are really on fire about all this. Getting to that next level, there there's another audience ring out there, and another one beyond that. It's going to require these things. How do you get there? You know, how do you, yeah. you know, you got your new TV deal. I know that could be part of it. Can you just give us your your roadmap to how to get there? Yeah. Well, again, I, a lot of the great things that are going on. You guys are a big part of that too. So we, you know, so we want to thank you for all you do and continue to do and all you've done. Um, you know, it's amazing. I think if you look at uh, kit, right, in general, I think our car is kind of cool to look at, right? I think the AeroScreen has added another kind of, you know, fighter jet and Batmobile kind of look to it, which I think the kids think are pretty cool. So um, I, from my opinion, all it takes is one time to come to the Indianapolis 500 and see the drivers going to turn one, one time, yeah. right? At that point, you're, I mean, you're in awe. I'm still in awe. I, I mean, still am too. You know, we're there for two weeks, you know, for practice, the race, the whole thing. But the first time a car goes into turn one at speed, it's like, holy cow, right? So if that doesn't energize you and want you to understand what we're doing and how it works yeah. and these gladiators that are driving these things, you know, it's just, it's amazing. So um, I think it's more about how we present the platform to the younger audience, which again, I think the, you know, the screen was amazing that kids, I mean, it's there for you know numerous things, but it wasn't thought of to be a a new fan generator, you know. But it, it's amazing how that has added an element to youngsters that they think the cars even cooler because it's got this screen on it. So that's good. It looks like a it looked very futuristic and jet fighter like, you know. And yeah. I think, uh, but I also you know, and I've had this conversation with you privately. And I want to say it publicly. Thank you. I know you poured your heart into that to make that happen, and. I've I've personally lost friends mm. in the sport, and you know, for everybody who who's endured that, thank you. Uh, I think that the other part of this is that allows people who may have had concerns about joining this sport to make the leap in. Uh, yes, it, it absolutely has. I think, and uh, it. I think we all want to ride on this adventure with a, the hero in the car. Uh, but we really don't want anything horrible to happen, uh, and this takes a degree of that. Still, no, nothing's ever 100% safe. So, when you're going into the next generation of car, is there, you know, we're going to talk briefly about that here. You know, you've got a lot of areas you can probably improve. What's your punch list on this new new uh, engine car? Everything you can do with the next generation. Well, I think a lot of what we'll look at going forward is just the cars. Um, evolved over the years. Obviously, the car we've got the identity back, right? We're the yeah. car, it's an open wheel car. Um, we're, we're excited about that, keeping that foundation, maintaining that kind of look. Um, I think overall, the car's just got a little heavy, you know. And, and 
you know, when we added the screen, it added weight, the hybrid's going to add weight, you know, there's different things going on. So we had to look at the overall weight of the car. And I think that's probably the biggest thing going forward that we got to address. Um, yeah. you know, I'm not exactly sure when that's going to happen. The initial part of the next iteration of the car is basically that it takes the engine and the hybrid, whatever needs to be changed to do that. And then we'll have, you know, the next step of the rolling five-year plan of what the car will look like. Yeah. Um, it could be, you know, we've looked at it a couple of different ways. One, it could be a wholesale change all at once. One, it could be, you know, different updates over the period of time. So if you go from 2028 backwards and just, you know, here's what we want to look like in 2028, you just start in 2024 and go forward, that type of thing. So, Again, that's not quite defined yet. We have a good idea where we want to go. It's just what years we do it, how it affects the teams. Um, again, one of the things we do with the plan is we always make sure we don't want to obsolete parts and pieces without right. giving them an 18 to 24 month notice, right? Mm -hmm. Unless it's a safety feature, safety aspect. So, um, again, there's a lot of there's a lot of moving pieces at this point, right? And again, the last couple of years have kind of made you pivot different places and different things. If you look back over what was written a few years ago, we should have already been doing this by now, right? Yeah. But you know, we delayed it because of um, uh, COVID and what was going on with that. So, um, you know, again, excited about the future. It'll be a great group effort by our paddock, our friends at Delara. You know, when you talk about the 18 car, we went over there at 17 and basically that car was drawn on the wall, right? We have, we have the original drawings. Yeah. It's like, you know, we just, it was cool, right? I mean, it's a race fan or, you know, somebody, a racer, you know, they're just, we're doing hand drawings on the, on these pieces of paper and they'll, you know, change this, do this. What about that? And they would go away. They would come back and do it again. And it was just a really, an all day experience doing this. And that's amazing that that's how that car appeared. And, you know, we put, some, put out some drawings through you guys, right? To, to get yeah. a fan perspective, the fans immediately liked it. So we knew we were on to something and yeah. we put out actual renderings of it they liked it more we knew we were on to something well then it was okay well how's this thing going to perform well we thought it was going to perform but but we weren't sure right until you actually if you do your simulation you went on don't think it's on track so it it certainly had more of a the way it used to be feel how you know the car got loose it did different things it was less downforce it was harder to drive we want it to be hard to drive yeah, right you it's do. supposed to be hard to drive so um, hopefully that's created a better racing product. It has. I think it's created uh, the unpredictability that makes this so intriguing. And uh, that's, uh, I think also, having drivers come from an environment, let's say like Formula One, where they're excellent drivers that have won all the way up the ladder, but they're in a team that is in the bottom tier of team resources, so they're not going to win there. And they come here, and all of a sudden, they're who they really are. They're yeah. an absolutely frontline, brilliant racing driver that can win and run at the front. And this is an instrument for them. It's a, it's almost like a musical instrument. They can play well and show everybody their talent. And that's what we've seen. And and you know that that brings me to another point: is the sport belongs to everyone. It it and I think there've been two really, you know, noble initiatives this past year. Uh, uh, you know, in in the race for um, uh, diversity and inclusion, and you know, uh, Peretta Autosport at the Indy 500 this year uh, generated a huge amount of interest. Um, uh, you know, obviously, you know, you're closer to much of this than, than we are. Is is there good prospect that that team will be back on on the grid at Indy this year? Well, from what we saw, you know, from what Beth was talking about the other day. Absolutely. I, I know they're, they're full speed ahead and they're trying. And, yeah. um, you know, until you, we all get here, you don't know, right? Things yeah. haven't changed, but I, we certainly anticipate them being back. Yeah. And, you know, because that, and I shared this with Mark yesterday, that 
team, you know, generated as much or more social media and page view energy as the entire Indy 500 weekend itself during qualifying weekend. Wow. Um, and for me, that, that was really eye-opening. And we saw a trend to younger audience. We saw a trend to female audience. Uh, some of this stuck, you know, afterward, mm. which I think for us is a door opener. And then we have Force Indy, um, uh, which I you know, see is moving up to in, uh, Indy Lights. Can you talk a little bit about what that means to the sport? Yeah, I mean, Coach Reed and his guys have done a, a, a great job. Um, it's been fun to watch their progression. And obviously now they're, they're you know they're progressing again. So um, no, it's been great. Um, I think it's something that'll be really cool to see what happens two or three years from now. What, you know, if you look in the future to see what this actually uh, what return this produces, which I think it's going to be great. I think it's going to be really big. Um, we were part of the original NASCAR diversity program. I think it was like 20, 2004. Yeah, and um, it was amazing how many tentacles that created. Right from it's not just from a driver perspective, engineers, mechanics, pit crew members, lots of different things that, that come from that. And um, I, a former college football player, was in contact with, or my university was in contact with me a two weeks ago about how can we participate? How can we get athletes that are graduating that are not going to the NFL or wherever to come, you know, come try this? So again, I think the word's wow. getting out that we're, yeah. So it's, you know, you know going to be a good thing. And, and actually in the, the job portal we created for the teams, a few weeks ago, we've got, I think, right now, almost 600 resumes loaded into it. So, you know, there were <laughs> that's, that's right? pretty it's awesome, really especially yeah. in this job market. I've got yeah. to say that tells you you must be doing something right. Yeah. Later today, we're going to be talking to your chief diversity officer, Jimmy McMillan. Uh, mm -hmm. George Tamayo, uh, our creative director, will be doing a session with him to explore this more deeply. But uh, ultimately, uh, your sport's appealing on so many levels. Uh, but the market you go to is, uh, I think this is probably the concluding part of this, is, you know, where your schedule's robust now. You have a really stout schedule. The, are you satisfied with a mix of circuits? Do you want to see it evolve? Uh, I talked to Mark yesterday about maybe going international to, obviously, North America, being primary focus, going to Mexico. Do you have anything you want to throw into that? Both uh, our fans will love this. I'm an oval guy. I love uh -huh. oval, right? So I think our mix of ovals is a little light right now. Um, you know, not sure what that'll look like in the future, but we're one of the things, you know, going back, you know, six, seven years ago, we, what we try to do is create date, date equity and equity in the venues we go to. So I think we're much closer to that, you know, now and and, and even even getting through the COVID years to get to this point. I think we got good date equity, we got great partners, great venues. You know, you saw what happened in Nashville last year, it was spectacular. It's yeah. a new venue. Um, I just think as we go forward, we got to be conscious of create keeping the mix making sure we got the proper amount of ovals the oval racing in indy cars again it's breathtaking you know you watch the cars going to turn one at indy or even at a place like iowa right i mean yeah, it is. i think iowa yeah. we had like 900 and some on track passes you know during the, the time it's just crazy right so um you know it's we just got to be conscious of the oval, oval ovals in the mix yeah that's the heritage part of it and uh I think that uh, you know again your 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 sport has always been a race to the future. From the moment the Indianapolis 500 was created, it, it's a narrative about getting to the future faster and creating a better future. And you know I think it's so fitting that we had that breakthrough moment uh, this year with this female forward team. 
at the Indianapolis 500. Uh, and uh, later today, we'll have Beth and the team will be on uh, oh, great. For, our, for our primetime session. We'll get to talk to the women that, that made history in doing that. But, you know, you oversee a series that is, is living history. You know, what you do matters. And what do you want your legacy to be when, uh, let's say, you've decided to go fishing at the end of all this? What do you want people to think about what you've done here? Well, that interesting. I mean, again, I think it's uh, it's a great, paddock, great people. When we first got here, one of the things we talked about was harnessing the power of the paddock. We got a lot of really smart people, right? And we've we I, I guess have been able to get them together as a group and and create con consensus, right? So that's to me been the key. When we do things, they know what we're doing, they know where we're going, they know why we're doing it. They were part of the decision. If they didn't necessarily get their way that time, they understand why. And they, and they buy into what we're doing at that point, and here we go. And um, I think that's been the, the most rewarding thing about this. And you know, we talk about the history of this sport being the steward, per se, of it you know, right now. Um, it, it, we take it very seriously. I mean, this, this means something. It means a lot. It means, you know, it's a great group of people. It's a great, it has great history. It has a great future. And we're just really proud to be part of it. And I'm so glad you've been part of it. Uh, it's been a pleasure uh, having you as a friend and, and an honor, uh, actually. And I'm, I'm so amazed at what you've done uh, with your time at the helm of this, this important uh, series. Thank you for being with us today, uh, Jay Fry. And good luck to you and your team. Uh, uh, and have a great 2020 season. Great. Well, again, thank you all for having me. And good luck with the, with the rest of your day. The concept for EPAR trade is basically, in my opinion, there's a big hole in the internet. So the internet started many years ago, but there's never been an online business community for racers on the World Wide Web. The need for EPAR trade is actually quite obvious. Basically, people in the business of auto racing need a place online to hang out and get their problems solved. It's extremely simple for a buyer or for a supplier to interact on the platform. The first thing you need to do is sign in, which is free. And the second thing is when you see a product that you're interested in, all you need to do is click on request more information. If it's a company, you click on request more information. And then from there, it is forwarded directly to the buyer or to the supplier. You can go to epartrade.com, you become part of a community of businesses in racing, and it makes uh, sourcing products much easier than just on the internet or using Google. At epartrade, there is no e-commerce. It's literally a connection just like at a trade show. So now, any time of the year, a buyer could reach out to a supplier through an email. More than that, it's a place to go just to keep current every day. So it's a good place to start your workday in your racing business or in your offices of your professional race team. And you know you're current when it comes to new technology, industry news, technical papers, technical videos, all of that and more. We're not looking for a million hits per day. All we want is people who are really the volume buyers of racing products in the racing industry to be part of the little world of EPAR trade. We have racing businesses participating from around the world. So you get suppliers from around the world, you get buyers from around the world. EPAR trade really eliminates having to travel, closing down your shop. Now you have a place to showcase globally your racing product and technology.
There are two types of people, racers and everyone else. Racer Magazine is for those who believe that racing is a way of life. Racer embodies the excellence that defines a sport driven by passion, courage, and ingenuity. Get one year of both Racer's print and digital edition for only $39 with instant access to our entire digital issue archive. Subscribe now at info.racer.com.